Uh, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. We are grateful for God and all that he's done and all that he's doing. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 24. I'll start with you. You know how we do. And you continue. And let's dig on in. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. Keep going. Amen. Today in our second installment. What's the name of our series? Say it one more time. I like that. I like that keeping it 100. That's what it is. Our um, message title for the day from this text is The Decisive Disciple. The Decisive Disciple. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your might for your majesty, that cares enough about the minutia in our life and the mighty things in our life to be involved with them. And God, your desire is for us to become decisive in every single area of our life as a maturing community and individuals of people. So God, we ask that in order to do that, we ask for your strength today to guide us, to flow through and in us, Lord God, to see things more clearly so that our walk may be an ever-progressive, maturing, nurturing relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer in whom we trust. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just be hearers of your word, deceiving ourselves. But, Lord God, make us into effectual doers and help our prayer life to 
reflect those who are effectual and fervent prayers that get much done based on your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, in Gary Frazee's book, Decision Making and the Will of God, we learn that most of our decision making that we want help with is based on Gideon's fleece versus spirit-filled guidance of seeing how to make decisions based on God's word. <laughs> Many of us make poor decisions and think it was God who led us that particular direction as we look dazed and confused. However, the Bible calls for us to discern and be decisive. Most of us in our lives, I think in Frazee's book, he uh, helps us to recognize the ability to be a decisive believer who makes decisions based on biblical maturity and discernment. Many of us ask what the will of God waiting for a, a mystical guiding act to help us to know what God's will is. Many of us say, well, God, um, if you want me to go this direction, let the wind blow east, west, and then north, and then have somebody come up to me and ask me for a cup of water, then I'll know that you want me to go that direction. Lord God, it's three beautiful women in front of me. I don't know which one is to be my wife. Lord, help the one that lifts her hands the highest in worship. Help me to know that she's supposed to be my wife. God, first man that comes up to me and tells me what job he has, and it's above sixty to $70,000 a year. God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask you to let me know that he is supposed to be my husband. I mean, we have all type of mystical folk examples of trying to find out the will of God. And usually those mechanisms were used when there wasn't much word available. And so because there wasn't enough of the breath and mind of God available to the people of God, by the spirit of God, by the person of Christ, to give us the ability to make godly decisions based on raw data of Scripture and God's promises. God wants it. If you notice um, in Romans 12, 1, it says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what the will of God is. Um, there, there is a clarity. I'm not saying that there aren't times to pray. I'm not saying that there aren't times to focus. I'm not saying that there aren't times where you feel stalemated. But um, in the Bible, discernment of clarity of things based on God's word is what helps you to make good decisions. You, you make good decisions about the less word you have available to you, the less word that you're in means that your immaturity quotient is up and you're going to have a more difficult time yes. navigating life. Yes. And, so, and so we need to be filled with the word. That's what the Bible says. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, to be uh, rich, let the word of God richly dwell in you. That means not only its presence, but it to, to, to be like some devil foods chocolate cake in you. It just be real rich. You almost can't take it. Um, that's what it's supposed to be like when you are a decisive believer. Somebody say, be decisive. So he's challenging here in this passage, uh, Paul is, the Corinthian church, because they are viewing him as a flighty apostle. They are viewing him as flighty, and he has a chip on his shoulder. And throughout the book, he doesn't put them on blast overtly. He does it covertly. And he does it by exposing the immaturity, by not overtly communicating the immaturity, but by asserting his role as loving them to help them to go from spiritual infancy 
to spiritual maturity. And so we come to this passage in particular that is going to challenge him. He's talking about why he wasn't able to come to them. They have some issues with Paul not coming to them. They thought he was scared. They thought he was a sucker. They thought he was a punk because he didn't come to them. But he wants them to grow up in understanding how things work because they had a warped view of the will of God. And when you have a warped view of the will of God, you view things that don't happen based on something that has to do with immaturity versus understanding the broad scope of the missionary work of God in your life. And so we come here, which brings me to my first point on the decisive disciple. Number one, decisiveness involves the removal of unnecessary complexities. Decisiveness, decisiveness involves the removal of unnecessary complexities. Listen to what Paul says. He says, for our boast is this. I like the fact that he gives some things that we can boast in in the Lord. And, 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 and he's boasting in something that God has provided for him in his apostolic ministry towards the Corinthian church. He says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Let's stop here. The whole sermon can be about this, but we need to cover some ground, <clears throat> but, but because this is a rich and potent reality that we get to recognize and understand in this passage. When Paul is talking about the testimony of his conscience, God has given every human being a conscience. Somebody say conscience. Conscience is the alarm system that God has placed in everyone where values and mindsets are placed there so that when you go against that or go towards it, you either get a thumbs up or an inclination like something's wrong. You ever been in a relationship, a friendship with somebody, and it got messed up, and God is sending you two different directions, but you don't have closure? And you know there's something there that you need to work through with that person because it's almost like inside of you something isn't complete. That's God utilizing your conscience as a mechanism to communicate to you about that particular situation that's unsettling so that you can go into the unfinished business of that particular thing. But the conscience is also used to let you know when you're cleared. When you're, when you're cleared and, 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 and it's zeroed out, there's a zero balance in the, the balance of relationships or things to, to sort of help you know, oh, I'm good there. Uh, however, if you're not a believer in Christ, your conscience is seared. That means even though you, have, you are born in the image of God, it's defaced and not erased. So therefore, you have uh, elements of the image of God without Christ and the Spirit and the Word to help navigate a conscience that can steer you wrong. When you don't have Christ in His Word, I'm, I'm making all this plain to say, just stay with your boy right now. But, but, but. But, but there, there, can be, there can be navigational tendencies that can tend to mess you up. Now, when you trust Christ, now your conscience has to be subservient to Jesus. Yeah. Now that it's subservient to Jesus, because we know based on Hebrews that your conscience can try to condemn you of stuff that God has already freed you from. Yeah. So that's when your conscience becomes deficient when it tries to override the work of Christ in your life. Now, what Paul is trying to help us with is Paul is trying to help us with when your conscience is utilized and under the authority of the Spirit, under the authority of the, uh, of the Scriptures, and under the authority of Jesus Christ, it can come in handy with letting you know where you are with other people. Paul says here, he says very, very clearly, he says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. In other words, our conscience has been talking to us, in a sense. 
You, and, and we behave. I like this word, behave. My grandmama used to always say, boy, behave. She didn't say behave. She said behave. She's from the country. Um, <laughs> and she, he, said, in the, he said, we behave in the world with simplicity. Listen, with simplicity and sincerity. Let, let's, let's stick here for a few minutes. This is a, power, this is a powerful clause and statement for us to parenthetically park to get some principles. Now, if you look at this right here, um, the idea of world here is not just the physical celestial ball that we sit on. World in the New Testament usually points to the reality of a system of satanic existence. The word uh, cosmos is where we get the word that points to doing your hair stuff, you know, women that do hair and that type of thing. We get our word from that from there. But literally, cosmos means organized arrangement. Now, with Satan in it, it's an organized arrangement of chaos. So Paul is saying that in the organized chaos of the messiness of this world, y'all still looking at me like y'all know what I'm talking about. Let's see if we can make the organized chaos of this world uh, uh, lay this out. Uh, um, 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 you, you have a messed up body that is fleshly and wants what it wants. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. It's okay. Um, we live in a world where the prince and power of the air is at work through the demonic forces in the unseen world. But we live in a world with a lot of messed up people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. We have fleshly thoughts. That's the residue of the old nature that needs further mortification. So when you look at all of the things that's organized against us, in other words, the world is what the devil utilizes to organize his ministry of demonic attack against God's people. And so when you talk about world, it's an organized deficit to push against the glory of God to exalt the kingdom of the enemy. So when Paul is saying here in this passage that we behaved in the world, that's a big word to say. To be able to behave when you want to do wrong. When, you, when you're able to behave when everything that you want is before you, but it's not necessarily the will of God. When it's the, the ability to behave. Listen, listen, I'm going to tell you, every, whoever's in here and don't want to behave during, and act like they never wanted to behave before, you, 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 you tripping. Every one of us wanted to wild out on the Lord. Matter of fact, somebody wild out this morning. That's why you're not saying nothing right now. That's okay. Uh-uh. Um, some, some, some of y'all may want to Monday the wild. Some of y'all may have been wilding out last night. Amen. It's forgiveness for you. It's all right. But he said, we behaved in the organized arrangement of the worldly attack against the glory of God. How did we do it? How? With simplicity and sincerity. Oh, help me today. Simplicity is a word that points to the, a word that means holiness. But simplicity means to declutter. Mm. Simplicity means to remove unnecessary things in your life that would cause you to not serve the Lord. Uh, see, see, many of us, the reason why we're not able to serve the Lord is because we got too much. Y'all not going to talk back to me this morning. See, some of y'all got some complex lives because you bougie. Oh, let, oh don't, don't look at me funny. Some, see, see, see you, know, you know your life not simple is if you say you need stuff that isn't a need. The Bible says we maybe need five things. Just five things. The Lord, the Word, His people, we're going to add one more, food, covering, and clothing. Everything else is agreed. 
so, so what can happen, though, is we become so worldly that we stack up around us needs. Let me see if I can make it plain. Like, I, I'm a coffee snob. I'm a coffee snob. I like to go, I don't like Starbucks. I call it Charbucks, but I like the Clover machine. They got this $13,000 Clover machine. And it is magnifique. They have reserved coffee. They put it in, it vacuum presses it out, and gives you, you can just layer the notes. I like to go to La Colombe on, uh, on, on Frankfurt Ave, and they do pour overs. I'm just telling y'all my bougie tendencies. <laughs> See, I don't go to Wawa. <laughs> I go for that gobbler, but not the, um, me and my wife got issues with the gobbler. Um, and I can't do Dunkin' Donuts. But what if the Lord leaned things up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's, he can say, you can have coffee, but you can't have bougie coffee. Matter of fact, you don't have to have coffee at all, but I'm going to be gracious enough to let you have some. Can you handle me downgrading the clutter of your commitments to what you say you need in order to more effectively follow me? Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. Um, um, uh, many of y'all got some people in your life. Many of y'all got some stuff in your life that's just clutter. Many of y'all have some relationships that's just clutter. You've been dating seven years. I know I'm in the house now, that's why y'all got quiet. <laughs> no direction, no commitment, no visionary picture from God in your life. You're making decisions about your life and future with a person. You have no trajectory of marital bliss to go towards. And some of y'all, some of y'all, some, some of us got so much in our life that, 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 that God can, it's interesting, some, a missionary movement, we were supporting some missionaries, and um, the people couldn't go to the mission field. And they couldn't go to the mission field, they were ready, they had their theological education, they were godly, but they couldn't go, because they had too much debt. And the missionary organization said, you can't go to the mission field until you get out of debt, because we don't want you on the mission field making a decision to stay because you have default loans. Some of us need to let go of some things that we've made the central will of God for our life in order to experience the central will of God for our life. Because the more cluttered your life is, the more stuff you got to have in your life and on your life is, the less potent your ability to be used by God is. God wants you to be able to navigate this world. I'm not talking about the complexities of suffering that comes without your Without your consent, without your not, like, I'm talking about the stuff that you decided to put yourself in that's got in the way of your ability to be used. Some of y'all need to come out of school for a while, get out of the debt you're already in, because you're going to be in three quarters of a million of debt by the time you get into maybe where you want to do school, what you're going to school for. You're not going to be able to fully enjoy it because you got $750,000 worth of debt when you were putting cars and apartments and restaurants on your student loans. It got real quiet in here just now. <laughs> and your life is encumbered because of what you say you need that's really agreed. 
Some of us want to start businesses, but we won't want the lean season of the first few years of the startup season because we can't have the mobility of getting rid of some stuff that we say is a necessity in order. See, everybody wants to be the bosses, but they don't want to pay the costs. You see, there, there are going to be some things, there's some sacrifices. The simplicity actually helps you to be more happy. It'll make you just be more happy. So some of y'all, <coughs> some of us, because I'm talking about myself, need to just say, God, what in my life is working against me being fully mobile for you? I'm not, some of, in other words, God is in the business of making his people more user-friendly. He wants to make you more user-friendly. And, and, and listen, listen, listen. Who wants to you go back to the flip phone? Who wants to go back to the joint where you, where you, where you know the little, de- see, y'all don't even know about that rotary phone. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. The rotary, who wants to go back to the rotary phone? Wait. You want to just be able to pick something up beside? Who want to go back to the phone booth and having quarters in your pocket? You can use it, but it takes longer. You want you some, in other words, God is out to make us mobile. You, he wants to be able to use you at a moment's notice. He wants to be able to use you and be able to pull you, and you're not being pulled by inclinations of what you make a need because he wants to use you for his divine glory to strengthen because it'll make you decisive. You're always going to be indecisive if you have needs that you're created that aren't biblical needs because you always have to think through how much clutter you got to get to to be able to get to the point to what you need to. And, and, and Paul says, Paul says to the apostle, he said, I, 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 I don't fool with a whole bunch of attachments. I just don't. That don't mean God don't want you to enjoy yourself. He'll do that. But that means that so many of us have to think through God. I want you to help me to help my life to be as maximized for your glory, for simplicity and honor for your namesake as possible. But not only does he talk about not only does he talk about that, that, that as well, he says, and that we behave in the world with godly sincerity. Godly sin, uh, simplicity means what happens to you or on the outside of you. Sincerity has to do with the mindset inside of you, Amen. meaning unmixed and unwavering dispositions. Yeah. Yeah. But if your life is cluttered, you can't have sincerity. Mm. Because you have to, you have, have you ever had so much complexity in your life that you, God presents a good thing to you and you have to mathematically work through scientific level equations to be used. You got to do theological calculus. I mean, you got to do rocket science to wonder, how in the world can I get this out of my way? It, it, it's, some, it's some seasons where God, God just wants you to be mobile and he wants you to be, I'm not just talking about full-time ministry, I'm talking about lifestyle ministry. Lifestyle ministry, so simplicity. <coughs> and he says something next. He says something next that's great. He says, not by earthly wisdom. <coughs> earthly wisdom is finite thinking. It means to only think in the natural and not able to think spiritually about things. It's, it's actually the antithesis to simplicity. And so what God is talking about through Paul is Paul is talking about what made his conscience clear. What made him clear conscience is sincerity. And, and, and simplicity in his life that wasn't influenced, listen, by earthly wisdom. Yeah. 
earthly wisdom of philosophies that are alternative to the Word of God. See, when you don't have simplicity and sincerity in your life and in your heart, <laughs> what happens is, is because you're so worldly connected, what begins to happen is you, it's crazy, you have to make decisions based on a non-biblical standard. As a matter of fact, there was a season, and I'm not telling everybody they got to do this, but this was my, my walk. When I first trusted Christ, I knew me. So there were some things I just missed out on. Like, I missed out on the Biggie area, era. I missed out on the whole thing. I missed out. Some of y'all are like, I ain't missed out on it. I missed out on it by choice. I got rid of, like, I ain't telling everybody to do this. I, I, I listen to good music. But in that season, when I first started walking with the Lord, I had to get rid of Big Daddy Kane, just for a while. <laughs> I, had to get rid of, I had to get rid of EPMD. Now, y'all got to understand I love EPMD. That's my favorite hip-hop group all time. I had to not watch the Martin Show with him getting the lusciouses and all of that. And, and all up in the bed and people, I just had to, because in that season, there was some stuff in it, and I had to get rid of my R&B, all my secular stuff, because in that season of my life, it was just too sexy for me. See, if you're going to keep it 100, you got to keep it 100 with you. And it was, it was, and, and listen, it was, it was too sexy for me when I was in college. 1994, when I started walking with the Lord, it was just too much. I didn't need help. I ain't need to be listening to 100 ways, and some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I, you know what I'm saying? I ain't need to be listening to uh, uh, Color Me Bad. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I, you know, I had to turn off my new edition. I had to turn off my Bobby Brown. I had to turn off my Father MC. I had to turn off Mary J. Blige. I had to turn off C.C. Pendison. I had to turn off all of it. Because, because you know what? The sexiness of that made me cluttered. And so now I'm always thinking about a wife, who I'm talking about. And in that season, I ain't need to think about a wife. I needed to be devoted to graduating. And see, and see, and see when you decide that the long term is better than the short term sacrifices, you'll get ahead better and you'll be able to enjoy more because you've starved yourself of what you thought was a must that should have just been a might. See, 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 that, that's, that you, you got to begin to think as a believer, you know, this is a good thing, but it's just a great thing for me. You know, people are always asking me, you know, pastor, how do I know it's my spouse? I say, well, you called it a mission field, and that person uh, feels like they should do art in South, South uh, California, Southern California. Y'all not supposed to be together. Well, I was just trying to figure out, you know, um, Japan is like right by it, so we can fly back and forth. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just, I, don't, help me God, don't try to force what God is releasing you from. This is the, this is the way you make some good decisions. If you're overwhelmed because you have to do it on your own, or you're overwhelmed because you're not trusting the Lord, a mature believer knows the difference. Am I overwhelmed because this, because I'm trusting in me, and God is clear that he wants me to go this direction. But if you're overwhelmed because of what you have to do, if it's because of what you have to do, you need to be a mature, big boy, big girl, and let go. Let's move. I got to move, y'all. 
It says, by the grace of God, he said, listen, he said, my conscience was clear, and I was walking in simplicity and all that in the world and sincerity. He said, but by the grace of God, and he said, supremely towards you, he said, it's a grace for me to deal with y'all like this. He said, I'm, 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 I, you know, you got to understand, he's hot with them. And, um, and he said, supremely towards you, because he said, y'all need a whole lot of grace. He, he's putting them on blast a little bit. He said, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand and hope, and, and he said, and I hope you will fully understand. What is Paul saying? He said, what, what, you, what you see and what I'm saying is what you get. He says, just as you partially, <clears throat> just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. So I like this. He's saying this to let them know that there's going to become a point where they're going to celebrate God, the mutual benefit of his apostolic relationship with them and their uh, sheep relationship with him in how they blessed him and how he blessed them. But it all goes to the glory of God. And it's going to be based on their commitment to being mutually decisive about how God has called them together to do ministry. Now, check out what he says next, he sa- uh, uh, which brings me to my second point. <coughs> he said, decisiveness, second point, involves a commitment to God's promises in spite of criticism. <laughs> decisiveness involves a commitment to God's promises in spite of criticism. Look at what he says. <laughs> he says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that I might have a second, so that you might have a second experience of grace. And so he said, I wanted to come to y'all. He said, I wanted to come chill with y'all. I wanted to come minister to y'all, right? Then he says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. So I, I was going to come through Corinth. I was going to go, on my, I was going to go to Macedonia, and I, but, but I'm going through you because I got to pass through you. And then I was going to pass back through Corinth on my way from Macedonia because I wanted to connect with you two more times. We connected once before. I want to connect with you two more times. He says, <clears throat> he said, but he gets, he gets real mad right here. You can tell. Um, he says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? He said, do I make plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no. At the same time, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So what is, what's happening here? They're, they're, they're getting on Paul's nerves because they're saying, see, if you was a real apostle, you should have known spiritually that you're supposed to go here. You're supposed to know. He's like, what mature believer says stupid stuff like that? He's like, he says, he says listen, he says, I'm trusting that God is going to navigate my journey. As a decisive believer, you make plans. You move that direction. Sometimes as you're moving that direction, God moves it or closes a door so you won't go in that direction. But you don't change your commitment and decisiveness about what God wants you to do because God closed the door. Are you listening to me? That means you don't walk away from the Lord because God didn't do something that you made core for you to walk with him. That, 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 means, that means that God just said, that, that means growing up and saying, man, God didn't allow it. Paul saying, why y'all talking to me like y'all crazy right now? Because I wanted to come to you and I wanted to serve you. God didn't allow this to happen at this point in time. And now you're pushing away from saying, yo, like you're not even an apostle. 
Like, you, I mean, they're, they're basically, he's going to put them on blast later because they like the fly apostles. You know what I'm saying? He's going to talk about that in chapter 11. He's going to put them, that's when he's going to overtly put them on blast because they like Bentley apostles. You know, he was a mule apostle. You know what I'm saying? He he have all that, right? But that's how they looked at things because of their connection to the philosophies of the world. So as he worked through this and he challenged the um, uh, 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 Corinthians with their criticism, with this idea of his decisiveness, he's trying to help them to understand their understanding of the will of God in connecting to the promises of God. Look at what he says next. He says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. He said, like, remember we came and, like, shared the gospel with you and you came from spiritual death to spiritual life? Like, wasn't that the will of God? The yes of God came for us to bring the gospel to you. Remember that? Do you remember that, um, Corinthian church? He says, Silas and Timothy and I was not yes and no, but it was always a yes. It's always a yes for us to come. When it comes to us, it's always a yes. Do we want to hang with y'all? Y'all get on our nerves, but we want to be around you. That's what he's saying. But he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter amen to the glory of God. Why are the promises of God yes in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is the most decisive of all times. So because he's the most decisive of all times, the promises of God are yes in him because his death unlocks all of the promises of God. That's why he's called the key of David. The key of David points to the fact that in Christ, everything that was promised but didn't come to pass gets unlocked through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying is the death and resurrection of Christ commits us to being decisive believers. Why? Because Jesus was the most decisive. How was Jesus the most decisive? Jesus was the most decisive because he got a cannonine whip in his back and didn't let it stop him from being decisive about dying on the cross. I'm just letting y'all know. I'm just letting y'all know. They tied me to a pole. They tied me to a pole. They get a cannonine whip with bone and metal in it and take off my shirt and seeing my Negroid hamburger meat showing on the back of my back and they put that cacao in there and pull some skin out of my back. At the first point, of metal pulling muscle out of my back and exposing my veins and my ribs. I'm going to say Pharisees, which y'all want me to say? Which y'all, which y'all want me to say? I, I, but that's not what Jesus did. Jesus clung to the thing that they put him on to torture him. Can you be that decisive? He had the simplicity of a simple life. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But he wasn't thinking about a house. He didn't have one. He wasn't thinking about the money. Judas had stole it all. He wasn't thinking about anything. Only thing he thought about was his mom, and he delivered her to John. He said, I'm done. In other words, Christ is so committed to decisiveness that he is the model for what it looks like to be decisive. He's the model. (laughs) So Paul says, because Jesus is the model of decisiveness, we should draw from him strength in being decisive. If he can be decisive in getting tore up, why can't we be decisive in things that don't even really matter that much? And so when he said all of the promises find their yes in him, that's because he earned it through his decisiveness. That's powerful to me. I'll shout by myself. I'm so glad 
that he stayed there. And it says, and we ought, to, we ought to amen to the glory of God. So what is he saying? In other words, the Bible says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord directs his steps. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. These are promises. Yeah. <laughs> that, that means that in, in our life, when we make plans, sometimes in making those plans, God says no permanently. He says yes, probably and sometimes he says no with a future yes, but right now it's no. But that means that God is working out his promises even in the navigation of your life. Sometimes God gives you choices, multiple choices. It's not always, is that the one? Is this the place I should go? Sometimes God, godly in a powerful way, gives you nine choices and get flowered in and tell you to pick. Some of us get over spiritual and say, which one, God, which one? And God has said, I'm giving you multiple choice enjoyment. And so what, what Paul is saying here is he's helping us to work through this idea of this, and he furthers it by helping us to understand the commitment to Jesus. And he says, right, he says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. He roots it in Jesus over and over and over and over again to help the believers in Christ to recognize that our connection to you is based on Christ's work in us together. Then he says, and he has anointed us. He uses the, he rarely uses anointed, but he had to use a word that the charismatic Christians in Corinth would understand, the anointing. You know what I'm saying? So he said, all right, since y'all like the two-cent word anointing, I'm going to use anointed. He anointed us. He anointed us for the purpose of serving you. And we are committed to that. And that's a promise that God has given in Paul's ministry to help him to know that he's supposed to serve them, and that's the will of God for him. But if God says no for that time, that means not then. But look at what he says. Look what he continues to say, which is incredible. He says, he further affirms this whole idea of decisiveness by theologically rooting it, not just in the gospel, but in the results of the gospel. Look at what he says. He says, and who has also put his seal on us and given us a guarantee in our hearts, uh, given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so what is he saying here? The guarantee back then was somebody giving a down payment for something, letting you know how serious they were about it being fully paid off. And so what happened was, is God giving us a spirit is used as a euphemism or figure of speech to let us know how serious God is about redeeming our lives. So the work of him giving us the spirit is for him to show us how to be decisive because he empowers us to be decisive because of the Spirit's presence in our life. And because Christ is going to come back and fully redeem us, we can decisively look eschatologically at what God is going to do as a means to be decisive in the presence of our lives. So let me see if I can make a plan. When you buy a house, you have to put up what's called earnest money. And, and, and earnest money is what you put up to let the person know who you're buying the house from that you're serious about this house so much so that you're willing to lose whatever amount of money in order to display your seriousness of pulling, pull, paying off the full payment of what it means to purchase the home from them. What Christ does through the Spirit is the Spirit is God communicating us how serious he is about empowering us to be decisive. The Spirit is in our lives to empower the clarity of our decisiveness so that we know that what God began in our life, he'll finish. That, that, that's shouting language right there. Because I like the fact that God is, is rooting us not just in some mysticism of he walks with me and he loves me. No, 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 no. God got some, see, see God has to prepare. See, listen, you, you're not, you and I are not going to be decided. Like, we act like God trusts us. He don't trust you. Hold on, hold on. 
on, y'all. God knows my heart, you know. Like, don't ever, 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 ever say God knows your heart. Because the Bible says that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? So God doesn't make decisions for your life based on your heart. If he did, we'd be in trouble. He makes decisions based on his heart. But he knew that in order for us to be decisive, he can't trust us to just be decisive. He has to put everything in our life to empower. He had to give us blood of Jesus, cross, resurrection, coming back stuff, the Bible, the body, pastors, uh, the Holy Ghost, spiritual. You, listen, in order to be decisive, we need a whole bunch of stuff. He, didn't, he entrusted himself to make us decisive. If you think you're going to be decisive on your own, take the, just take the weight off. Because the, the surrounding investment that God has placed in this passage to let us know that we're empowered to be decisive is the weight is off of you. And so he, he, he points it to us very, very powerfully. I got to get out of here. Got more to say, but I got to run. He says, last but not least, this is my last point. I'm out your way. <coughs> he says, well, I say, decisive Christians works towards the joy of others instead of themselves. See, this, 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 is, this is grown man and grown woman stuff. It's grown man and grown woman stuff. You know, you know what I'm saying? This, this, is, this is big boy, big girl stuff. He says, but I call God to witness against me. Who can say that? Who can be so decisive to know that they're going the right direction with the Lord? You say, I call God to witness against me if I'm wrong. Like, that's, that's you, you better know that you know that you know. If you're going to say, that's why you don't pray the prayer. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent, one from another. Amen. You know, we used to pray that in the old church, and we pray that um, after choir practice. But really, may the Lord watch between me and thee means judge between us who's wrong and kill the one who's wrong. Look in the context of the passage. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, Paul, 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 is, Paul, is, saying, Paul is saying, let the Lord witness against me. May something happen to me if I don't have a clear conscience in how I'm dealing with you. Can you go up to somebody that feels hurt by you and frustrated by you and say, may the Lord God witness against me if I've ever done anything to hurt you. My conscience is so clear that I invoke the Holy Ghost power might of heaven to come and come in between this situation to deal with what's going on. So you got to have a very, very clear conscience to talk that kind of talk, but it, but it points to the fact of a trust that God has decisively been giving you strength to have clarity. God did not anoint you to be unclear as a believer. God did not point you to be all over the place, running over here by every wind of doctrine. Christ died, the Spirit came to root you. You're supposed to be decisive. Some of us don't know where we're going. Messenger, you got to know everything, but you got to know something. And Paul closes this powerfully. He closes this. Look, look at what he says, family. He said, not that we lord it over you. That's good leadership. <laughs> that's good parenting, and that's good pastoring. Lordship seeks to control people. See, lordship controls people because they don't trust the Lord. <laughs> Let me just give you this for free. If any... Leadership in a church tries to control every decision you make in your life, they're a cult. 
And, and they try to control because, see, see, a spiritual grown-up, you don't prepare grown-ups by doing everything for them. See, Gentile lordship wants to control people and outcomes for their own purposes. But see, if you want to see a decisive disciple maker gives you room to fail. Paul said, I ain't going to lord it over y'all. I ain't going to call you every minute. I'm scared you're going to make this, especially parents. We got to learn. I sent my son to the corner store by himself. I'm scared to death. <laughs> I'm scared to death. I'm like, okay, make sure you cross the street. Look both ways. Make sure you cross on the green. Don't do like we do in Philly. Just cross the street randomly in front of cars. <laughs> y'all know I'd be about to lose my mind about that, right? I said, if somebody try to attack you, just go kidney, kidney, head. That's all you got to do. <laughs> kidney, kidney, head. So we all going to get that on the way home, but... um. <laughs> Got to let them go. Some of y'all need to let some people go. The reason why, I'm going to give you a couple things for three more minutes for free. Can I, can I just give you three more minutes and sit down? Let me tell you something. Some of y'all are holding and trying to control people, and you're codependent. Some of y'all need to let some children go. Some of y'all need to let some parents go. Some of y'all need to let some friendships go. Some of y'all, some people in your life, listen today. The, your life has been locked into you being needed. And your need to be needed is your clutter from your life becoming simple. Because you've made yourself God in somebody else's life. See, see, some of, some of us, some of us in here, some of us here, some of, I'm not saying your grandmama's sick, leave her alone. I ain't saying that. Because some of y'all, we got to explain everything. No. Help grandmama, right? <laughs> but some of us have built our lives around being needed in a way that's not really for the benefit of the other person. But it's really about our self-esteem and our self-worth. It's rooted in them needing us, and as long as I'm in the know of your life, you're okay. If you do everything I say, and if you do everything I want you to, then I... I'm okay. But Paul says, he says, but we work for your joy. Now, what does that mean? Joy is simple. Unending satisfaction with God no matter what. Paul says, we work for you to have satisfaction with God no matter what. That means I got to let you into the no matter what. You got to let some folk in your life. If you're going to be a decisive believer, you got to let some folk go and let them hurt themselves. You got to let them not listen to you. You got to let them get in debt. You got to let them break. You got to let them get in some breaking relationships. Some folk, you're going to have to let them go and they're going to get pregnant. You can't control the results of anybody's life. If they are grown up and you said all you're supposed to say, if it's a friend, you've done all you can do, you can't control them. Some of you will just sleep better if you just open your hand and let it go. That ain't spiritual sleepness. Listen, God is keeping you up for you to pray. That's personal burden bearing that God didn't call you to bear. Some of y'all going to have to put somebody out the house. Some of y'all going to have to get somebody a time. Now, they've been sleeping on your couch for a long time. And you go in the shower fussing about him. My God, why are you in my house? You know what I'm 
God, I'm sick of them eating up all my food, man. Man, I bought that pie for me. I bought that pie for me. Why are they eating up my pie or eating up everything in my house? I told them, go to the canned food. Go to the canned food. I just got that from Papa Do's. I just got that from a, I just got that from a, a cheesecake. Fry. Then I ate my cheesecake. Then I, but see, you could have been in your shower chilling, talking to the Lord about your day and your future. But you're so codependent and you need to help everybody. And the only way they can be helped is help you. So now you're heartaching because you're not serving you. They're destroying them. Yeah, yeah, let some boy. You got to just do like this. Let them go. Let them go in the name of Jesus. And Paul, listen to this. <coughs> Paul is okay with them being mad at him for letting them go. That was a word. <laughs> Let me just tell you right now. <laughs> that was a word. You got to be okay with people being mad at you that you didn't continue to handicap their growth. <laughs> You, you, you listen, some of y'all are going to dance in the car on the way home to, and, and on the subway. Some of y'all going to be like this in the subway like this. Because I'm just telling y'all, free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. Free yourself. And, and declutter. And then he says, for you stand firm in him. Now you got to understand they don't. He's believing that for them. He's letting the Corinthians go. And he says, I work for your joy. I want, I want your joy. <coughs> and I refuse to stand in the way anymore of allowing your indecisiveness to impact me. So I love you enough. I've told you all I need to tell you. I done taught you all I could teach you. I done walk with you all I could walk with you. I'm going to tell you some more stuff, he said, for the next 12 chapters. I love you. 12, 13, I'm going to talk to you. Then after that, deuces. So today, Jesus does the same thing with us. What if he didn't ascend to heaven? He just kept walking with the apostles in the book of Acts. He left. So I'm sending the spirit. I'll be back. God even does that. God even does that. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Father, we, uh, we wrestle with all this stuff. Um, someone would think it's unloving to let someone go so they can grow. But Lord, sometimes it's the thing that people need. And really, it's not for them, it's for us. Because it helps us to be more decisive, more clear. Doesn't mean that we, we're not afraid. Doesn't mean we're not afraid. It doesn't mean we don't have all those emotions of wanting, to, wanting these attachments. Doesn't mean that. But what it does mean, what it does mean is that we trust you. We trust you, and we, we're trusting you with ourselves and we're trusting you with what we can't do on our own. And so mighty God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you, we need you. We need you to work in our lives in this way. And maybe someone is here, is here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior.